Good morning, church. I'm a little offended at that declaration, to be honest, because uh, there was a line. I don't remember the full thing. It just took my breath away when I said it. It's something about recognizing the opportunities that are before us. Do you remember saying that line? No lie. On the way to church this morning, I was, you know, talking to God and spending some time with Jesus at, you know, 7.30 a.m., and uh, I was like, God, I really need to lose some weight. And uh, I am the heaviest I've ever been, and I just am really liking ice cream and pie. And that's not working. And uh, I felt like, you know, I was going to spin it because I wanted to be positive. So I, I said, you know, this is the first time in my life that I've had the opportunity to lose this much weight. So anyway, uh, this is God reminding me to take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, but I will still be having pie for lunch, Carrie. So I'll, we'll figure all that out. How are you guys doing? Good. Today is going to be a great day. I'm, I'm super excited about this series. Welcome everyone that's watching online. I believe that God is going to speak to you. Uh, I'm excited about the word that I'm bringing to you today. We're in a fantastic series called Mindsets. And over the past few weeks, I've hit a variety of topics. On week one, we talked about worry and stress. And in a world that is uh, has stress that is a constant, Scripture revealed to us that the antidote to worry is awareness, honesty, community, and spiritual alignment. So we, we dealt with that on week number one. On week number two, we talked about renewing the mind. If you weren't here for that, that was a great, great topic and sermon. You can catch that online. Last week, we talked about emotional strongholds, similar to what the world would call addiction, but there is a, a spiritual element to it that we, we discussed last week. And using the creation story in Genesis, I made the case uh, that all emotional strongholds have a root cause of sin, if you remember being here. Now, if that's offensive to you, listen to the full sermon because I uh, made the case for it. We walked through Genesis and we actually saw that to be true. Um, but today, today I want to talk to you about something that is extremely sneaky. Something that is shady and quiet. It swims in the currents that we can't discern if we're not walking in the Spirit. This invisible monster that I want to talk to you about today has a million tentacles that has the potential to impact almost every area of our life. It can impact our thoughts, our emotions, our reactions, our courage, our habits, our relationships, our finances, our destinies, and our dreams. Today we're going to let the Word of God speak to us on the subject of generational mindsets. Generational mindsets. Will you please stand with me as we read God's Word today? We're going to go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. It says, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb 
concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you today. I thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to speak into generational mindsets. God, I just declare by the power of the Holy Spirit, The chains are going to break in the room today. The chains are going to break online today. That the things we have embraced and tolerated and befriended and partnered with and agreed with are going to step aside in the name of Jesus as we walk into freedom. Complete freedom, wholeness. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All of us carry the DNA of our mothers and fathers, right? Um, They have transferred physiologically something to us. Our biological moms and dads have transferred something to us. We are a biological reflection of our biological parents. And we give to our own children an inheritance that is coded in strands of DNA, Right? This is biology 101. doesn't catch anyone by surprise. Uh, we know this is how reproduction works. Now, sometimes that works in your favor. <laughs> and then sometimes you have kids that come up to you complaining because of their ultra-white, non-tanning, sun-burning, freckle-producing skin. And they say, thanks, Dad. Right? But that's how biology works. You may be disappointed in that, but rarely surprised. Like, it's, it's not a surprise when a child comes out looking something similar to mom and dad. Physical traits, though, aren't the only thing that parents pass on to their kids. And that's what I want to focus on today, because I believe and I see in Scripture that there is spiritual, spiritual DNA that's also transferred to our children. You received spiritual DNA from your mom and dad. And this is an unseen reality that passes from grandparent to parent to children to grandchildren. The consequences, even though it's something we can't see with the natural eye, the consequences are very real and far-reaching. Now, we not only pass on good looks, we also have transferred patterns of righteous living or sinful frameworks. If we really want to confuse our kids, we pass on both. Moments of righteous living, moments of sinful frameworks, and and they don't know what to believe or what to embrace and and to adopt. Um, It's very real. The consequences of spiritual DNA is Very real. So if we want to create a legacy that honors God this morning, this is the moment where you want to lean in to the sermon. If you uh, are the same emotional person or in the same emotional prison that your dad was and your granddad was, but you're ready to be set free from that, this is the point where you lean in to the sermon. If you don't think you have a victim mentality, but you never see the rewards of a victor, 
this message is for you. If your life feels dull and boring and you can't explain why, this message is for you. Now, this message is not for the person next to you. It's not for your spouse. It's not for your parent or your child. This message is for you. I want to talk about generational mindsets because generational mindsets create generational consequences. When I talk about generational consequences, by the way, I'm talking about the negative repercussions of repeating sinful patterns in our life that go against God across generations. All right. Now, let me just say up front, there's, there should be no room for offense in the room or online. There should be no room for finger pointing or bashing yourself or bashing your parent or bashing your kids. This is only giving us an opportunity to see how God can take me to the next level. Can I get an amen from everyone that's committed to only look at you today? Generational mindsets come in all shapes and all sizes. Perhaps you have met a person that has been referred to as a natural-born liar. Yeah, not you, but you've met someone. Uh, we've seen people that have been raised by an alcoholic and then become an alcoholic because of frameworks that were passed on in addition to biological concerns. We see um, that grandparents get divorced, parents get divorced, now I'm getting divorced. We can see divorce trickle through generational lines, you know, generation after generation after generation. Another example, children are not born racist, yet racism still exists in the world. Children learn that, and as they learn that, they act out that transfer, and then they pass that on to their children, that somehow there's something unique and special and elevated about who I am, but not who you are. A cycle of poverty is transferred from generation to generation. Some people think I've just, my family's been poor as far back as I can remember. Or some of you, my family's been rich as far back as I can remember. Poverty is a generational cycle that is easily transferred with simple things that we can't even see. Little phrases that we say like, uh, we can't afford that. That's a poverty mindset that you're passing on to your kids. Rather than telling your kids that we can't afford that, what you should say is, mm, I'm not going to send my money there. I'm not investing in that. Do you see the difference? In small little things, we, we transition our behaviors, our thought patterns, our frameworks to our kids, and it becomes a generational stronghold. So today, these mindsets and patterns that are transferred um, they carry with them all kinds of consequences that I want to talk about today. Generations are important. I believe that we're a generational church. Right? You will see the older generation doing things. You will see the younger generation like me doing things. You will see the little, little generations doing things. We're a generational church because God is a generational God. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He thinks generationally too. Psalm 145, 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. You see, God's goal is for every generation to pass on the declaration of his glory to the next generation. God thinks generationally. 
for all the single people in the room who aren't married, but someday maybe all the non-parentals in the room that someday might want kids. Let me just tell you that God's already there. He's already preparing something inside of you to be a generational transference. In the text that we read, God says, you Israelites are saying a proverb, a saying, a cliche. And I want you to stop saying it, God says. He's talking to the exiles and in verse 2, this is, this is the saying that God wants them to stop saying. Are you ready? If God says stop saying something, we probably should listen to what he's saying not to say. This is what you should not say at the dinner table tonight. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Some of you are like, whew, I almost said that. So glad God said no. What does it mean? What does it mean? The father has eaten sour grapes. The children's teeth are set on edge. Well, during Ezekiel's time, this proverb would have been interpreted by the exiles in this way. They would have said or meant when they said that, our father sinned back in the land, and now we, the children, are paying the price. That's the way it is. It is what it is. Let me put it in another way for you. If it wasn't for my mom and dad, I wouldn't be the way I am. God says, don't use that saying anymore. Don't blame mama and daddy for what you do. They may have done it. They may have illustrated it. They may have demonstrated it. They may have amplified it. But you took it on by choice. I don't like sermons that deal with accountability, but we're in it, so we might as well continue. <laughs> don't use what someone else did to justify what you were doing. God says, the soul of the father is mine. He says, all the souls are mine. The soul of the father is mine. The soul of the son is mine. The one who sins is the one who dies. God is basically saying, you're accountable for your own choices, your own actions, your own thought life, your own frameworks. It doesn't matter what was modeled to you. You're accountable. If you're messed up like your mom and dad, it's because you chose to adopt their mess. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I can already feel the offense in the room rising. I, I know I, I was offended writing this, so I get it. I know you're saying, wait a minute, Pastor, if I was brought up this way, why am I getting blamed for it? I wasn't given a healthy example of what it means to be a mom or dad. I wasn't given a healthy example of how to handle finances. I wasn't given an ex an, a healthy example of what it means to be a son or a daughter. I, I wasn't given this example growing up, and now I'm just living out what feels normal to me. That seems logical, right? That seems like a logical objection to all of this. But the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. You want a different life than you see generationally, yet you continue to walk in the same framework that has existed generationally for years. We're going to get to a solution in a moment, I promise. But... I just want to explain a little bit more about this 
notion of generational transference because understanding it makes all the difference in the world, okay? It started with a guy named Adam. Adam and Eve in the garden. In fact, Romans chapter 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as though one man, just as through one man sin entered the world, through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 15 goes on to say, by one man's offense, many died. Death was inherited by Adam. You guys, you guys understand we kind of got the raw end of the deal here. We weren't supposed to die. We were created to be in fellowship with God forever. But when sin entered the world, death entered the world. However, you know, between birth and death, there's this span of time that we call life. And in that span of time, you and I have some decisions to make, some choices to make. We have some options to make. God says that the consequences of the choices that we make, of those decisions that we make in that span of time, that we bear those because we make the decision to practice what has been passed down to us. I I need you to understand for a moment Most likely, when your mama and daddy got pregnant with you, they didn't throw a party and celebrate because they were going to pass on all of their insecurities. They weren't excited to pass on to you all of their fears. They weren't excited to pass on to you all of their blank. You fill in the blank. Your, Your mind is probably already there. Fill in the blank. They had no intentions of passing that on to you. They were just excited that you were here. They were excited to watch you grow up. They were going to give you the best life probably that they knew how. But at some point, we have to step aside from what mom and dad could give us. Because listen, no matter how awesome your parents are, there's something they didn't give you. I'm going to say that again. Because we can get so focused on, oh, they have great parents and they have great parents. If I had the legacy that they had passed down to them, then I could da-da-da-da-da. No matter how wonderful your parents are or were, there's something that they lacked in. But their lack cannot dictate our choices in life. Are you grateful for choice? Are you grateful that you can start from birth and go to death and somewhere in there you and God can kind of work it all out? The consequences that pass generationally is not necessarily, I mean, and it can be, but it doesn't have to be from father to son to grandson. It, it can be around, like, the people before us and the people after us, that kind of generation, right? The coworkers before us, and we pass on a system to the team after us kind of thing. Generational transference happens all, all over the place in all realms. I'll give you an example In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira stole from God what they had promised to give to God. And Ananias walks in, and Peter asks him, did you do that? 
Did you withhold money? Did you steal from God? And Ananias, who sold land and then held back part of the money when he gave the offering, he looks right at Peter. He says, no, I didn't, I didn't hold anything back. I didn't do anything wrong. The Bible says he dropped dead. I wonder if that happened today. How many people would tithe? How many people would tell the truth? How many people would just do the right thing, right? Just because at any moment, he did. He died. Three hours later, his wife, who didn't know he had died, walks into the room, Sapphira. And there's Peter. He says, hey, Sapphira, come here. Sapphira, did you know that Ananias... Was, was withholding money. How much did you sell it for? And she, would, will you believe that Sapphira did the exact same thing that Ananias did and she lied through her teeth and acted like they had done nothing wrong? And then Peter says this line that I think is just so eerie and brilliant at once. He said, the feed who carried your husband out the door dead is coming to get you. And she took her last breath and she died. She didn't die because her husband did something wrong. She died because she partnered with what her husband lied about that was outside of the will of God. Do you see the, how she picked up what her husband laid down? Generational trans- transference. Now, let me just stop here since we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. Let me just say to all the married people, the dating people, the engaged people, um, I don't care how much you love him or her. When they rebel against God, don't go with them. When they, when they rebel against a, the, the clearly expressed opinion of God. Now, I'm not talking about preferences, if they want to eat pork or beef or if they want to wear a dress or pants. I'm saying if your significant other rebels against the word of God, you are to love God more than you love your mate. And while I'm at it as a man, let me just talk to the men for a minute. The man does not have absolute authority in the home. I know we believe that men are the spiritual leaders of the home. I do believe that. That's certainly biblical. But we don't have absolute authority. We have relative authority, meaning you are the head of the house to a point, not to a fault. The moment you try to get your mate to trump God, your spouse to trump God, you are out of order. God told Adam, because you listened to your wife Because you listened to her, because you picked up on that thing that she was laying down, you're going down too. God's like, you should have just told her, no, I don't want the fruit. No man has final authority. No woman has final authority. We all submit to God. One of the reasons I fully believe that we have chaos in our world today is because we have people trying to trump God in relationships. If your husband is telling you to do something against God, you need to obey God. If your wife is trying to convince you to do something against God, obey God. 
I, I would just love to see a city filled with spouses that value God so much that when their spouse gets a little bit off course, they are so focused on God that they just drag their spouse with them. You know, a spouse says, no, I don't want you to go to church. I don't want you to go to church. No, I'm going to church. If you don't want to go, you can watch on live stream. I'll see you later. I'm taking the checkbook. I'm going to give a good tithe. I'm going to worship God with all of my heart, but I'm going to church. If you want me to bring you Taco Bell afterwards, I will. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I've seen spouses that didn't want their other spouse to tithe. If you know that God has called you to tithe, tithe. Now, how that works out practically in the context of marriage and spiritual authority, you would need to probably email Carrie at theexchangechurch.org. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't have time to go into this, but I may have just opened up questions that I am not answering. So let me just answer that question for you. Uh, if you believe in tithing and your spouse doesn't, we've advised people to go to their spouse and say, I want to honor what you feel in the moment, but God has told me that I need to tithe. So on the income that I bring into the home, I'm going to honor God with that. And I believe that when you see God blessing me, you're going to want to give as well. That's how you handle that. So it's not, we're not creating rebellion and division in the home. Does that make sense? <sighs> Exodus 34, 7. It says that God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So the cycle of consequences keeps flowing from the rebellion of God's people. God makes it clear, now listen, in Ezekiel 18, that kids do not suffer the consequences of the iniquity in their parents, right? If dad eats sour grapes, the kid's teeth set on edge, God doesn't want us to say that. Don't blame parents for what we're going through, right? But what will happen is if the iniquity is picked up from generation to generation, God will visit generation to generation to generation to bring justice upon that house. So whatever you're dealing with, you may have been introduced to it by your mom, by your dad, but how God relates to you is totally up to you. Now, what makes a problem worse, by the way, is demons ride in on generational transfers. Cue the spooky music. I get that that's like, do, 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 do. what are you saying, Pastor Trey? There is a very real element to this whole generational business that we're talking about. Now, I think, let me give a disclaimer. I think it's, it's immature, reckless, and dangerous to see a demon behind every bush. Right? Not every bad thing that happens to you is demonically inspired. Many times, if not most, it's just you, right? It's you on the devil's payroll sabotaging your own life, right? But I think it's equally immature, reckless, and dangerous to ignore the possibility that you've allowed an open door for the enemy. There are some things that Oprah can't fix, there are some things that counseling cannot fix. There are some things that journaling won't relieve. I know for a fact 
from firsthand experiences that there are some things that won't leave your life without prayer and fasting. And if those things won't leave your life without prayer and fasting, there is a spiritual component that you can't account for in the physical realm. There is an unseen world that is very real, and it's real not because the Bible says it's real. It's real not because I say it's real. It's real because they prove to be real. And one of the ways it proves itself is by taking things from your mama and daddy, slipping them into your life, transferring it to you, and we call that a generational curse. The generational options is a generational curse. The things you pick up, becomes a generational consequence, right? I can reject a curse all day long. I am covered by the blood of Jesus. There are things trying trying to get me all day long. You too, by the way. And it's not just stuff that's passed down generationally. It's stuff passed laterally from the world. It's stuff passed up from the people that you lead or your children or people at your work. Like there are things trying to get you, but until you embrace it, and partner with it and agree with it, you won't walk through the consequences of that thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, says actually that, that Christians can sit and fellowship at the table of demons. That means you can fellowship with it. If you're sitting at the table of demons, you can, you can fellowship with them. Paul says there are two tables There's a table of the Lord. There's a table of demons. He says you can't sit at both. Well, you can sit at both, just not at the same time. What Paul means to say is you you shouldn't sit at both because he goes on to list the consequence. And the consequence of that is that it will make God jealous. And you ain't stronger than God, so you don't want to see a jealous God when you're bouncing between the table of the Lord and a table of demons, right? Now, put that in in general language for us. If you sit at the table uh, of demons, it doesn't mean that you invited demons to dinner. It means that you fellowship with the sin that they ride on, which makes them assume they're invited to your dinner table. And that makes the problem even more difficult to overcome because now you're not just dealing with a habit or a thought or a behavior. You are dealing with a spiritual influence that has taken root and taken hold in your life. Well, I'm out of time, but how many of you need to hear some good news before you walk out of this place? Okay, let's get to the good news already. I hope that I've, I've painted a good picture for you, good enough at least in the time that I had, uh, for you to see some things that maybe have transferred. Maybe that temperament, that anger, that fighting, the disrespect, the laziness, the anger, the poverty mindset, racism, rebellion, maybe pornography, sexual sin. Uh, Some of us in the room may be so broke because we're so busy paying for so many uh, pity parties. And generationally, we see that and we've embraced it and we pick that thing up. And that's what you saw and you heard. So I'm not trying to blame you today. I'm not trying to make you feel bad today. But the question is, what do you do? What do you do when you see that what your daddy did 
is now going inside of you. What your mama did is now going inside of you. What, what do you do? Well, Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14 says, For as many, are, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith, yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So here's what, here's what Galatians is saying. It's saying there are rules of God. There are, there are commandments known as the law, right? Anyone ever heard of the law? You've got the Ten Commandments. You've got other laws in Scripture. Um, but what Galatians 3 is making us aware of, because it says no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, that means that we should all understand that the law cannot fix your problems. Are you with me? The law, no matter what you're carrying from mom and dad, the law cannot fix your problems. You may be a liar because your mama was a liar. You may be a thief because your daddy was a thief. But the law, even though it says do not steal, the law cannot fix your problems. The law is good. Do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery. We all agree in the room that the law is good, right? There's nothing there that says, like, don't eat chicken enchiladas, right? The law of God is good. But Paul says, with those things, with the law that we say is good, comes a curse. Why? Because all the law can do is show you the problem. It can't fix it. And with the law comes a curse because every time God gave a law, there was a consequence. If you break the law, this is what will happen. It can show you what is wrong, but it can't fix you. The law is good to expose you, but not to deliver you. And many people have the wrong idea about how to approach the law. M many of us are, are bound by the law. But so many Christians just completely ignore the law. Both of those are the wrong ways to approach the law that God has written for us. The law of God is like a mirror. Everything looks good when I look like this. But when I, look, when I get a double mirror and I'm like here, that's not so good. Many of you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror. Some of you are like, my husband didn't and it shows. Right? Anyone look in the mirror this morning? Everyone looked in the mirror. Some of you are just scared what the point is going to be. <laughs> this morning when you got up, you looked in the mirror. And you noticed that your good night's sleep messed you all up. Right? Some of you had dry drool. Some of you had, I don't know what the classy way of saying this, but eye boogers. I have kids, so that's, you know, the little things. Uh, some of you had hair that you had to literally wash it, get, get in the shower because your little spray bottle wouldn't push down what your pillow pushed up, right? 
Some of you had a crease down your forehead and cheek because you laid the wrong way all night. You slept so good, you look like Frankenstein's creation, right? But you use the mirror to see what you look like. Isn't that the purpose of the mirror? You went to the mirror because without the mirror, you would be self-deceived. You would walk out of that house thinking you look good because you feel good, but you don't look good. You ever get out of a lunch date, you go sit in the car, look in the mirror, and you're like, oh, my God, there's spinach right in the middle of my teeth the entire time. Has that happened to anyone else or just me? Mirrors, mirrors reveal. But what you don't do is you don't use the mirror to fix the problem. You don't wash your face with the mirror. You don't comb your hair with the mirror. You don't brush your teeth with the mirror. The mirror is good to reveal the problem but not fix it. But we still try to go to the mirror. Some of us sometimes go to the mirror to try to make everything right. And we keep thinking if we just step in front of the mirror again, suddenly we're going to look good. That's what New Year's resolutions is. We go to the law, the things that we should be doing, and we just write them down one more time, hoping that that law is going to set us free. Some of us rededicate our life to Jesus. A couple months later, rededicate the rededication. Then we rededicate the rededication of the rededication of the rededication. Some of us have been saved 5,000 times. You know, everyone laughing gets it. We know. We've, we've done it, right? We, we go to the law to fix it. We go to the mirror to fix it. And, the, and I'm talking about people that mean it, that are sincere, that desperately want to change. And I know maybe you've been there too. You felt locked in a prison and you've wanted to be free and you didn't know how. And you felt like this lot in life wasn't fair, that whatever was passed down to you was somehow not enough to live the best life that God wants you to live. Paul says that all the law can do is condemn you. That's all that it can do. What makes it right is in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, The blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You see, on the cross, Jesus broke the back of Satan. Colossians 2 says, He condemned the devil. The cross broke Satan's authority. It didn't remove his power. It just broke his authority, right? If you have a, a policeman with a gun and a criminal with a gun, only the policeman has a badge and he has legal authority if he's using the gun correctly and within bounds. He is the only one with legal authority to use the gun. Satan's authority is broken. I need us all to hear that. If you hear nothing else in my message, the power of Satan may be strong, but his authority has been shattered. Anything he tries to do to you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, anything he tries to do to a believer is illegitimate. Since it's illegitimate, he has to be sneaky and find a way to get you to accept it so that he can borrow the authority that Jesus has given to you. So he tries to get in your head. He puts thoughts into your head and gets you to believe that they're your own thoughts. But God broke the curse of the law so that he can give you the spirit 
because it is the spirit of God that brings freedom and liberty. Listen, I, I love the law. I read the law. It's valuable because it's a mirror that shows me what the Lord wants to do in my life. But, you know, when you're driving down the highway and you see a speed limit sign, you know why that speed limit sign is there? To condemn you. That law is only for condemnation. I have never been pulled over by a cop and said, you were going five miles under that 75 mile an hour sign, right? It's not used to celebrate you. It's used to let you know when you've crossed the line. Galatians 5, 16, 18 says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Let me tie all the pieces together so I can send you out here, out of here, ready to take back your life ready to break every chain that has been holding you hostage generationally. In Galatians 5, we see that the job of the Holy Spirit is to make real in the life the law of God. So the law of God that we see becomes made alive in us, not through our own efforts, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the flesh, that's what you want to do outside of the will of God. And the Spirit, they will never get along. Your flesh and the Spirit that is inside of you is constantly at war. They're in direct opposition. So here's what God says. God says, if I can get you to walk in the Spirit, you won't act out the desires of the flesh. That's a good deal, by the way. He doesn't say you have to fight the desires of the flesh. He says, if I can get you to walk in the spirit, you will not act out the desires of the flesh. He, he does not say you won't have the desires of the flesh. Can I get an amen from anybody who's been beating yourself up just because you thought you wanted this, or you thought you wanted that, or you thought you were still addicted to this, or you thought you weren't over that. Just because you have the thought doesn't, doesn't mean that the flesh has won. You see, the Spirit of God has given you the ability to say no to those things, those things that you used to not have a choice in. When they knocked on your door, you opened. When they drew you in, you went. The very fact that you can say no to those things is proof that you're walking in the Spirit. And notice the order. He doesn't say stop walking in the flesh so that you can walk in the Spirit. You don't have to get better before you belong in the family of God. You don't have to stop all the sin so that you walk in the Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, those things begin to take care of themselves. You see, gravity... You know, what, what goes up must come down. Uh, gravity is always there. There's no place on earth that has less gravity. There's no place on earth that, that you're going to say there's no gravity here, right? The gr gravity exists. You throw something in the air, it, it's going to fall down. However, an airplane can get off the ground. An airplane doesn't kill gravity, it just overrides it. 
At that moment when desire comes, we move. We got to keep walking. Some of us pray in the morning and think that's good enough for the day. Listen, your morning prayer is good enough until your first cup of coffee is done. When we feel the desire to step back into that thing that has taken hold of us, we got to move and do what the Lord says and pray. Lord, right now I, I feel that I want to do something that is against your best for me. Lord, I, I feel right now that I have a desire to do that which is outside of the will of God for my life. But because you broke the back of sin on the cross, I give Holy Spirit full permission right now in this moment to step in and override my flesh. You see, just as a, a plane picks up momentum to override gravity, we that walk in Christ pick up momentum to overcome sin that is knocking at our door. So we mustn't be paralyzed, mustn't sit back and hope for God to take it away. You just take the next right step. And sometimes that step is praying to God. Sometimes that step is picking up the phone and telling someone what you're going through. Sometimes that right next step is opening the word of God and just digging in and asking him to speak to you. As we learn to stay in stride with the Holy Spirit, when we do this, we're no longer under the law, under its condemnation, and under its power. Let us pray. Father, I come before you today. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have made it possible through the power of the Holy Spirit to break the cycle in our life, to break the generational cycles in our life that have been practiced, that have been rehearsed, that has, have been inculcated. Father, I just thank you God, that no matter how, how deep these things go into our lives, into our minds, into our souls, that you have provided a way of escape. God, that we can walk in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, the things of the flesh won't satisfy. God, I ask that over the next seven days, you will help us to take inventory of our life. God, not just to rid ourselves, to give to you the things that we have adopted and embraced, but to really take inventory on the generational blessings and curses that we're releasing to generations after us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.